Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I'm your host, Dan Canobio. On this show, we got Robert Diaz. He is the matchmaker for Golden Boy Boxing. We'll talk to him about what it is, a day in the life of a matchmaker at Golden Boy. Of course, he is the matchmaker for Canelo Alvarez. He works with Ryan Garcia, and he'll be working with The Zone here coming up as Golden Boy transitions from ESPN and HBO into The Zone, as they like to say. Uh, and speaking of matchmaking... And uh, Golden Boy, did you happen to see this fight Thursday night on ESPN? Wow, Nico Macias and Jesus Soto Carras put on a show for the ages. Was it an outstanding fight? No. Was it a Gotti Ward? Uh, absolutely not. But it was a, a very unique fight because it rewrote the CompuBox record books. I'm going to throw out some numbers for you right now f- uh, for this fight that just like blew our minds here at, at CompuBox. First of all, Jesus Soto Carras, 37 years old, threw 1,848 punches, which is a new record for any weight class, and he did it in 10 rounds. Keep in mind, all the records that are broken here at CompuBox are 12-round fights. Jesus Soto Carras did it in 10 rounds. They, uh, Jesus Soto Carras outthrew Macias, who no one saw coming. He won the fight, which no one kind of had him winning. He hadn't won a fight since 2013, uh, uh, Jesus Soto Carras. He's been in some wars over the years. But most importantly, one of the biggest uh, records that was broken that night is the combined combined for 3,353 punches. The record was 30, uh, 3,020. That was Ray Oliveira and Zach Padilla back in, in 1993. Only two fights in the history of CompuBox have cracked 3,000 combined punches. It's Ray Oliveira versus Zach Padilla, and now it's Nico Macias versus Jesus Soto Carras. In addition to that, they also combined to win 1,119 punches in this fight. So they were also throwing, they were also landing. The best stat of them all that I love from this fight is only one jab was landed in the entire fight from each guy. That just shows you that this fight was an absolute, uh, I want to say war. Yeah, it was a war. They were in close counters. They were fighting in a phone booth the entire night. You know, I was on the, the, the podcast, uh, Brian Campbell's podcast, talking about it. We'll touch on that in a little bit. That was a lot of fun on Thursday night. Looking forward this week, uh, there were some great fights on the upcoming uh, boxing schedule as 2018 comes to a close. Uh, still a lot of <laughs> fights to come up. I mean, November, we're right in the, in the middle of it. December's coming. We still have Canelo, Tyson Fury, and, and Deontay Wilder. But this week over on ESPN on Friday night at midnight Eastern, you will see Alex Saucedo taking on Maurice Hooker in a fight that is going to be a war. This one has all the makings for a bloody, bloody fight with a lot of implications, too, in, in their weight classes. Saturday night, over on DAZN, they're going to be in Wichita, Kansas, the boxing hotbed that is Wichita, Kansas. Uh, big babies on the card. You got uh, Gabe Rosado is on the card. Brandon Rios is on the card. Uh, Shields is on the card. There are a lot of names on this card. They're going to get a lot of blood and guts type of card uh, from DAZN. And, of course, Big Baby Miller, he wants to keep his name relevant 
in the heavyweight division. That's something to keep an eye on. Uh, this past week, we saw on, on Saturday over on zone also, Alexander Usyk continues his, uh, his campaign for fire of the year when he took out the very game, the very respected Tony Bellew in seven rounds. I predicted TKO 10. I was off by three rounds. But what we saw from, on, from Usyk on, on Saturday night is the reason why he is my uh, favorite for fighter of the year and the boxing industry f- for that matter is the fact that he went in there, he can box, he can move, He's got a great ring IQ. He's got great footwork. We've seen some of his dance moves on Twitter. Uh, and uh, he also has punching power. That was a thing that a lot of people doubted, a thing that even I doubted myself, is does, does Usyk have an equalizer to go along with that great uh, boxing skill? The answer is yes, because he systematically broke down uh, Tony Bellew. And you saw the, the, the knockout. You saw the, the highlight that was all over Twitter and all over the, uh, uh, social media and sports center and what have you. But it was the three or four punches combination beforehand that landed on Bellew that kind of set up that, that ferocious knockout. It was a double jab and a feint that had Bellew rocked. And then he had nothing going there towards the end when he got knocked out. Fell right into the arms of, uh, of Eddie Hearn. It was quite the scene over there in Manchester. And you got to look at it right now. If you look at the, the fighter of the year conversation, which is still a little premature because it's only November, but... You know, come December, that's something that the boxing world loves to talk about. Who's your fighter of the year? You know, in last year, it was really a coin flip between Vasil Lomachenko and, and Terrence Crawford. You know, there was different camps that, that it was all for Crawford. Other camps, you know, thought it was Lomachenko's for, for those reasons. But right now, it has to be Alexander Usyk. I mean, the guy had, uh, won the World Boxing Super Series. He has all these wins on, a, on opponent's home turf, and he does it in style, too. So uh, right now, the other candidates, though, for, for fighter of the year, if you take a look, you know, Deontay Wilder, let's say that he wins uh, December 1st against Tyson Fury. He'll have, Let's say he wins in, in explosive fashion, like Deontay Wilder usually does win, and he takes out Fury, let's say, inside six rounds with a KO. That's two huge wins this year over Ortiz and, and Fury. He'll be a you know, a, uh, a competition for Usyk in, in terms of fighter of the year. You can go down the list, maybe Lomachenko, if you like his wins over Linares, and should he defend his title again in December against Pedraza. You know, Callum Smith had a strong year. Tevin Farmer had a strong year. Uh, Inunue had a strong year, the little guy over over in Japan. But, you know, right now, the leader in the clubhouse is uh, Alexander uh, Usyk. Uh, before we get to our interview with Robert Diaz, we have to talk about the PBC rollout, everybody. Uh, yesterday, uh, PBC, uh, much uh, fanfare, they announced their uh, recap or their schedule for the first half of uh, 2019. Also, there's a, a fight card in, uh, in 2018, uh, December 22nd, Jamal Charlo, Jamel Charlo. They will be uh, taking on uh, Jamal Charlo's fighting Willie Monroe, Jamel Charlo's fighting Tony Harrison. They're going to kick it off December 22nd on Fox. But let's talk about the fights first. That's the most important thing about this rollout. We'll get to the broadcast. We'll get to you know some of the other things we saw on there. But the fights are what's most is what's most important. You know, if you adjust your expectations and you kind of see the lay of the land right now in the boxing landscape, and you know the fans at home are very in, very in tune with what's going on in the world of boxing on the business side of things. But if you kind of adjusted your expectations, you would you know kind of see these fights for what they are. 
you know, there were some great fights on this card, on this rollout. There were some showcase fights. There were some step-up fights. There were some crossroad fights. You know, were you expecting Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence to be announced yesterday? No. We knew the fights. We knew, for the most part, what fights were being made. You know, it starts off, you know, January 26th at the Barclays. Keith Thurman versus Josecito Lopez. I'm happy to see Keith Thurman back in the mix. I want to see him fight some of the best names uh, in, in the welterweight division, Errol Spence is is who I want to see Keith Thurman fight. It's good to see him back. Uh, Gerald Washington versus Adam Konaki. I think that's going to be a, a low-key brawl at the Barclays. I and mean, you know that Konaki, uh, his fans come out in full force. If you've ever been to Barclays or if you haven't been to Barclays for a Konaki fight, I uh, heavily recommend that you do because it's, it's an experience. You know, there are some other good fights on here. Sean Porter, March 9th, he's fighting your Danis Ugas. That is a good fight, at least on paper it is. And you have to kind of feel for, for Sean Porter. You know, he won that belt versus Danny Garcia, the WBC strap. He clearly wanted Errol Spence. He's come on this program and stated as much. He said it's the easiest fight to make in boxing. But if you're Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia is just calling you out left and right and you can make, you know, your highest payday ever and you can fight a guy that's you're much bigger than, if you saw yesterday when they had their stare down, how do you not take that fight if you're Errol Spence? How do you not fight on pay-per-view and make maybe 3 to $4 million fighting at Jerry World in your, your home state of Texas? Then you can fight uh, Sean Porter later on in the year. That's another thing with, with these Fox, uh, this Fox rollout is that it's setting themselves up for a huge second half of, of 2019. Should all these, these A-sides move on and win as they should, you know, 2000, the second half of 2019 – we're going to see Sean Porter fighting Errol Spence. We're going to see Danny Garcia back in the, in the mix. You know, we're going to see Caleb Plant uh, fighting for a, a title. That's the one thing that I, I, I took from this, and uh, I think it was a good rollout. And in terms of the, the broadcast teams, they got Lennox Lewis in the mix. It's good to see the big man uh, standing in the middle. He was kind of presiding over it. You got Chris Myers. I think Keddy Albert is going to be in the mix. Uh, Ray Mancini. They're going to have a, a studio show. I'm looking forward to see what, with, uh, what Fox does here with this. Because if you tuned in to the UFC on Fox, they had some great programming. Before the big pay-per-views, after the big pay-per-views. That's something that boxing kind of missed uh, over the years is the fact that after a big fight, you want to like talk more about the fight, you know. You and your friends sit around, you talk about what you just watched. That was the beauty of the UFC. Like after the Conor McGregor fight versus Khabib on pay per view, and they had their melee and whatnot. I turned to FS1, and you saw Daniel Cormier, and you saw the the uh, they had more programming. And I think that they will do that here with Fox with their post fight shows, their pre fight shows, and their shoulder programming. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm staying optimistic. So many boxing fans. It's so down in the dumps, and they want to just crap all over these fights. But I'm staying optimistic. I think it's going to be a huge uh, 2019. We have a big show for you. We have still have to get to, in case you missed it, with some really good nuggets on Tyson Fury and, and Freddie Roach. But upcoming next, he's Robert Diaz. He's the matchmaker for Golden Boy Boxing. Today's interview is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's located on 35th and 7th, right in the heart of Manhattan, a few short steps away from Madison Square Garden. December 15th, Madison Square Garden will have a huge fight. Canelo Alvarez and Rocky Fielding. And with that, we're going to bring in the Golden Boy matchmaker. He is Robert Diaz, a very busy man. Thank you so much for joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. Are you still coming down from the the high that was Nico Macias and uh, JSK fight. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. And yes, yes. I mean, it's, it's, I, I saw, I met with Jesus yesterday, um, at the office, just wanted to see how he's doing and he's excited. He's having fun. I mean, he's had interviews left and right. People just sending him messages and, and Nico, Nico, we're actually reaching out to him, see if he could do a broadcast and as a guest commentator for one of our upcoming shows. So, I think the fans just got treated to something very special. Now, you've been in the matchmaking business for a while now. Uh, first of all, the fight broke all sorts of records for uh, for us at, at CompuBox. Most combined punches thrown, most combined punches landed. Soto Karras broke a, a record for most punches thrown in a fight at 1,848, and he did it in, in, in 10 wow. rounds. I mean... Just from a, a matchmaking standpoint, take us through what you thought about f- for this fight. I know Nico Macias was coming off of uh, an exciting win back in, in September when he uh, broke a lot of records then. And you put him in there with a guy in, in Soto Karras who's no slouch himself throwing. I think he was averaging 90 punches around over his last maybe seven or eight fights heading into this fight. So on paper... I mean, it had everything you wanted in a fight from a matchmaking standpoint. Just take us through, you know, what went into making this fight there that we saw last week. Well, you know, I, Jesus, every time he saw me at a show and he would go as a guest to see the fights, he would approach me and say, Robert, I want one more fight, one more <laughs> fight. And I would tell him, Jesus, that's it. Man. I don't want to see you getting hurt. That's it. You had a great career, many years. And he would always tell me, one more, one more, one more. <laughs> so after Rooster's last fight, that he caught so much attention and people were buzzing over him and everything. I said, what if I do rooster against Jesus Soto Garaz? You know, this is going to become the home of the rooster, the Fantasy Springs Casino. It's, it's in his area. It's sort of like the passing of the torch. You know, old meets young and passes the torch. But you had similar, similar styles. I mean, they fought for the fans. They were very close with the fans. So it was a no-brainer. Yet, like always in boxing, there's always, you know, people are never happy. Right before the fight, it's a mismatch. In fact, to be honest, the network uh, was, like, hesitant about approving Jesus. And I was like, trust me, it's, it, it should be a good fight. Yes, Jesus. But they were like, you know, he hasn't won a fight in five years. But he's always in the fight. And right. he's always giving it 100%. Right. And I knew, I knew that this time Jesus saying it's my last one, wasn't going to go out on a knee. He wasn't going to go quit in the corner. He wasn't, he was going to give it a hundred percent because he was being honest. He was saying it's my last one. Well, so, now, now that he says that it's not know, his last one, I've heard, I've heard him say maybe he wasn't like a hundred percent on retiring. Has he come to you now and said, you know, uh, Robert, I want another fight. I want another one. Well, to be honest, I, one of the reasons he came into the office yesterday, I called him in. I said, Hey, get some rest. And I want to see you on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I told his manager, I didn't, I don't, I would love for him to retire on this high note and, and right off to the sunset and, and, you know, leave on a win. Mm-hmm. But coming off a good win like this, breaking all these records, <laughs> right, right. beating a kid like Nico, who I'm not saying is, was a world champion, but he was undefeated and he was overwhelming all his other opponents. If I can get him the payday, I'll be very happy. Okay. All right. I like that. And, and he told me yesterday, if it doesn't happen, I'm happy. Okay. And if it does, we'll discuss it. So I said, okay. He says, I can leave boxing right now, and I'm very happy with what boxing's given. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it was good to hear that. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, because a lot of these fighters, you know, we've seen it all the time in boxing, is that the boxing retires them, not the other way around. So, you know, if he decides to fight again, I think the fans will tune in. I think uh, the networks that you work with, uh, you won't have as much hesitancy on on, on their end. But uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I want to get you on this show, uh, you have one of the best stories about breaking into the world of boxing uh, that I have ever come across. I love stories about how people broke into their respective fields. And yours involves meeting Marco Antonio Barrera, <laughs> and it also involves a shopping mall. Can you please share with us uh, how you got into boxing in this unique way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always loved boxing. My father raised me watching boxing, the big fights at home, and all the people getting together at my house having food, drinks, and watching fights. I mean, Salvador Sanchez fights were always at the house, Chavez, and then Oscar De La Hoya. But Marco Antonio Barrera was one of my favorite fighters as I was growing and, and, and had nothing to do with boxing, just a fan. He had just lost to Junior Jones, and it was a Christmas season in San Diego. We're at a mall. I'm doing my shopping, and I bump into him. And as a fan... I was always one of those fans that if it was a football player, it had to be something football play, you know, related. Mm -hmm. It was baseball. It had to be. So I ran all over the mall looking for something boxing related. I didn't want to pull out here. Can you sign a napkin? Can you sign a dollar? Can you sign my shirt? It had to be something uh, as a fan boxing related. So I went around the whole mall and I couldn't find nothing boxing related. So there's a message out there. Somebody wanted to put some boxing stuff at the malls, but I walked, I waited a while while he walked around uh, and, and bumped into him again. And I, I was hoping I'd bump into him again, and then I did. So I approached him. I said, Marco, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, but if I give you a, a, my address, do you think you could send me an autographed picture or something? And he said, yeah, sure, give me your address. And I gave it to him. <laughs> Not thinking much. A couple weeks go by, and I said, ah, he probably forgot. He's busy or, you know, lost the card. And sure enough, a few more weeks later, I get a package in the mail with a T-shirt and a signed autograph uh, portrait, you know, studio picture and, and a message, hey, great meeting you, blah, blah, blah. And we stayed in touch. He was going to fight then again in Indio in an exhibition prior to the first Morales fight. Wow. And that was very close to, I mean, here at Fantasy Springs. Wow. And I drove out from San Diego. I got my ticket. I went inside. And then I saw one of his team members, and I said, hey, you think I could say hello to Barrera? He was in the back in the dressing room. This was before they had the indoor arena. They had it. It was outdoor. So they take me back, and he remembered me. Hey, you're the guy from the mall in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we hit it off. Obviously, from there, over time, he invited me. I went to the first Morales fight. He invited me um, and then started inviting me to other fights and said, hey, why don't you uh, carry the flag? into one of the fights. I said, really? He goes, yeah, carry the flag, the Mexican flag, and, 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 and walk, in with, walk in with me. So obviously, as a fan, that was a dream come true. Yeah, I mean, come on, that's awesome. You know, I befriended Marco Antonio Barrera. He didn't get the decision against Morales, but everybody saw that he won or felt that he won. So, And it was a great fight just to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And little by little, he started, you know, come over to camp, stay in camp. And I'd go to Big Bear when he was training Big Bear or Mexico City. And we just got, we got along very well. In fact, to this day, we get along very well. Uh, eventually, I worked with him during his time at Golden Boy, making the fights with Golden Boy. I had no, I wasn't employed by Golden Boy. I was employed by Barrera. 
And uh, today I'm the, the godfather to his firstborn, his oldest, Marco Antonio Barrera Jr. And we have a great relationship. And I learned a lot about the boxer's life in camps, the sacrifices and everything. And it helped me to what I do today to understand them as what they have to go through because of my time with Barrera. We must have did over 10 camps. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really great way to put it. It's an unbelievable story, first of all. That you you know, that chance encounter at a mall leads you to now be the the, <laughs> the matchmaker for for Golden Boy uh, Boxing. And you're right, though. You make a really good point there, where you know you spend a lot of time in these camps. You you know those are the things that a lot of fans don't see is how much you know sacrifice and what these fighters go through in training camps and how they you know stay fit 24/7. So you kind of have that connection now when you talk to a fighter and he comes into your office. And uh, so that's another thing is what's the relationship oh. like between a fighter and um, and a matchmaker opposed to maybe a fighter and a promoter. You know. Personally, I'm a very personal person, and, and I get very close to a lot of the fighters. I'm not going to say to every single one, because obviously we have a large stable, and there's a lot of fighters, and personalities sometimes don't match and everything, but I'm very close to a lot of the fighters. I had dinner with one of our top young fighters last night, and you know we just had a nice dinner, talked, and, and just got stuff up going, what's the plan for next year. And I'm, I'm very, I, I get very close because I want to know their strengths and their weaknesses, because obviously to match them, to help me do a better job in matching them is to know where the strengths, where the weaknesses, where their mindset is, uh, you know, what kind of fighter he really is or, or what kind of person he really is. Is he willing to sacrifice? Is he willing? Is it just the show, the lights? <laughs> I really got to know what makes them tick. And I get really close with the fighters. Um, sometimes, I've been told, hey, you get too close, yeah. you know, because they're going to break your heart. And it's like, hey, well, it, it's part of life. Yeah. More with Robert Diaz coming up. How about the, the making fights for, for prospects versus making fights for established stars? You got to figure, you know, Canelo, you know, he has, you know, he wants to fight the best. And we know the names that are out there. And those fights, I feel like, are more negotiations than, you know, sitting down and looking at styles and whatnot. I know that also comes into play with, with Canelo. But let's say there's an 8-0 fighter and you're, you're moving him, him along. How do you make those fights? What goes into that? Maybe like a, you know, a week in the life of a, of a fight matchmaker. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it is different. It is different because it's even though, for instance, the Canelo fight is much bigger, the other ones are more delicate. Right. Because, look, we wish everybody could make it to the Canelo level. But it could be a mistake on our part, on my part, that can either ruin a career or not make him, you know, achieve his greatness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes fighting him too soon. There's fighters or or corners or managers or sometimes fathers that are like, hey, we're ready for the world title and you got to slow them down. Right. Oh, no, no, it's not time yet. It's not time. But that's not such an easy thing to say. But if that time never comes and you told, and then they tell you, we could have fought for the world title, but you held us back. So it's very delicate. Right. I'll give you an example. Um, we get a call from the WBO many years ago and said, look, uh, Randy Caballero is next in line to fight for the world title. Are you guys interested? Mm -hmm. And I said, obviously, let me get with the father, who was at the time the manager. And I called the father and I said, hey, we've got an offer. 
to go to Japan and fight one of the Kamehas for the vacant world title, WBO. I don't know if it was vacant or Kameda had it, but the father got nervous. And obviously that was the dream come true of every fighter and team and father. And he said, what do you think? I said, Marcos, we can get good pay. He said, I don't care about the money. I want my son to be a champion. What do you think? Right. So he put me on the spot. <laughs> and I said, well, if you're asking me it's not money thing, I say we pass. He said, why? I said, we got to go to Japan. Randy's never fought outside of California. I'd like to see him first fight outside of California, outside of his comfort zone. So fast forward, the next fight, we took him to Miami. He fought in Florida uh, against a Cuban kid who had a good crowd. Randy looked better outside of his home base. Right. Outside, I mean, he looked better. Like yeah, but, there was less stress. Right, and it wasn't he Japan. Great, and it wasn't Japan. And the next fight, I called his dad and I said, "Hey, I can get a title eliminator in Japan." He goes, "But you said not to go." Into, I said, "I said not to go into Kameda's backyard, but we can go and fight this guy, and it's an eliminator." And after what I saw of Randy, he's he's going to perform. Wow. Randy went into Japan. Knocked out the, the number two guy and won the mandatory position to fight for the world title. Yeah. Then yeah. we went on to fight in Monaco for the world title, and he went on to win there. So it was timing. I, I, I still feel that was the perfect timing. And and in the case of other fighters, maybe you rush too soon, and it's like, will there be a second chance? Right. Yeah, it's very sometimes delicate. Sometimes there is, but sometimes mentally they break down. Yeah, it's delicate, like like you said, and there's so much goes into matchmaking. I've always been fascinated by by uh, matchmaking and uh, so, you know the big names and the Bruce Tramplers out there, and you know Don Chagrin and all the guys that you know have legendary guys that you know that worked in this industry. But I have to ask you, Robert, it's the three hundred and sixty-five million dollar question. That's your prize uh, pupil, uh, Canelo Alvarez. There's, there's, uh, I'm obviously he's fighting Rocky Fielding uh, in, in December at, at Madison Square Garden. But moving forward, there are a lot of names out there. I know you're not going to tip your hand right now and tell me who he's going to fight uh, down the road, or maybe you will. But uh, you know, Danny Jacobs is out there. Uh, Demetrius Andrade is out there. You know, B.J. Saunders, once he clears up everything that's going on with him and the, and the drug testing, he's an intriguing name. Also, we can jump up to 168. What's in store for Canelo, and how do you see this deal playing out? Look, I mean, obviously, first things first is December 15. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, you know, hey, who's Rocky? Who's Rocky? What they got to remember is it's not who's Rocky. Is he's much bigger. If they saw pictures on the on the face-off, this guy is big. And once he step into the ring, you know, he's going to be the bigger man. So Canelo has a challenge, but that's the kind of fighter he is. He's always loved challenges. He's always looking for challenges. There's been fights that I've, in the past, and Eric and uh, myself have said, I don't like that style. Let's not fight him. No, I want to fight him. Austin Trout, for <laughs> yep. example. I was thinking Eric Austin Lada Trout. Lada. Yep, yep, yep. Those were styles that I personally I I didn't favor. I didn't want that style. It's like get me anybody that comes at him, a Golovkin, a Kirkland, and Kulo. Canelo's a natural counterpuncher. And have to chase somebody, I didn't like it. And he adapted. He 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 shown fight after fight after fight. He can adapt and he brings in something new in every fight. 
That's the scary part. He's still learning. He's right. still improving. So what's in the future in store? Well, after the this fight in December to decide if it's 168 that his, he feels more comfortable, if it's 160. But there's so many names out there, and, and it just shows boxing is not dead. Boxing is all over now and on, on all different platforms. And I think 2019 is going to be huge. It's oh, going to be fun. Well, you're absolutely right. I'm staying positive, Robert. I know you're a very positive guy, too. Before uh, we get to, I want to ask you your thoughts on, on the state of boxing. And I think you kind of just let us know what you think about boxing moving forward. But uh, going back to, to Canelo, and uh, does he come to you? How easy is it for him to 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 make these fights? When like, Let's just go back to, to Lara or, or, or Trout. And does he come to you with those fights? And how easy is it for him, uh, for you guys to talk him into these fights? Because that's one thing about Canelo is that he'll fight anyone. He'll take on any challenge. And yet, you're right. He is adapting. You know, his defense is getting better. His combinations are getting better. But from a matchmaking standpoint, what's it like working with a guy like Canelo who seems to take on all comers? Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And, and, and most of the fighters are like that. Most of the fighters are not going to say... I don't want to fight him. And and maybe at the beginning, they'll be like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But as they grow and get experience, remember, that's they're fighters. Most of the time, they're willing to fight anybody. It's when they're being told and, and, and being advised, now's not the time, you got to marinate it, you got to make it bigger, you got to... Yeah. Look, something that fascinated me of the 80s and 90s, it, we still talk about Sugar Ray Leonard, mm-hmm. Arvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns, and Roberto Durante. Yep. Why? Because they were great they fights. They were great fighters willing to fight the best. They, right. fought, all, they fought each other. Mm-hmm. They fought each other, and they lost. All of them lost. <laughs> but we still talk about them today. Well, that's one thing that I, I always say about about uh, about Oscar is that yes, he fought the best. That he always he came up short a few times, but he will always be remembered as someone that fought the best. And I think we're seeing that uh, with Canelo. Uh, uh, yes, he has that one blemish on, on his record against uh, Mayweather, but let's keep in mind what was he twenty three when he fought Floyd? Yeah, yeah. So he it, was very young, and, right. and and he believed it. And you know what? I think if we could all we'd all have to do it again, we would have done the same thing because at the time. You know, obviously, we felt, yeah, we like our chances. Young, strong. Uh, now with experience yeah. comes into play, say, ah, oh, we wouldn't accept it at a, the catch weight. I mean, that, that killed him. But, yeah. you know, that's how you live and learn. Right. How about uh, just moving forward, some of the names. What are some of the fighters out there that under the stable of the match room of the, the, the zone, the golden boy, that you think that can give Canelo some issues? Is it is it Jacobs with his athleticism? Is it, is it Andrade who kind of has the same style of, of a Lara, of a slick boxer, a southpaw? Which one, one of those fighters do you think would give Canelo a really tough fight? You know, I think the easiest way is what the fans want to see. Canelo's always said, look, I fight for the fans. What fights they want, do they want to see? He proved it. They said he wouldn't fight the boogeyman. He, you know, did it back to back. He fought him. And, you know, who knows? Maybe a third fight with Triple G, um, a Jacobs fight. Yeah, there's there's just so many fights out there that can be made. Look, Munguia told us already, hey, eventually I want to fight Canelo. Wow. So there's, there's some fight. David Lemieux has earned the right, you know, after the, the knockout with Spike O'Sullivan in mm-hmm. the first round showing that he's 100% healthy with the injuries that he had in the past, haunting him. He's ready. I mean, there's so many exciting fights out there that can be made. But it just, like I said, we want to focus on December 15th. Uh, Don't take this guy lightly. 
he's coming because he's coming. He knows what the opportunity, whether he wins or loses, but if he gives a great performance. Now, if he wins, he knows what that does for his career. Yeah, I would like to see another Triple G fight. Have you any updates on that? I know that's not exactly uh, your lane, but it seems like you're very involved with the day-to-day stuff uh, at, at Golden Boy. A quick update on, on anything with Golovkin. Does he have to come over to the zone? What's the latest there? Well, I know that Eric's been talking to Tom. He's had some conversations with him, and, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, it can get done. Yeah. Hopefully. Because I think the fans would like to see a third one down the road. I, I think uh, I speak for all the fans when we say we'd love to see a third fight between Triple G uh, and Canelo. Robert Diaz, he is the matchmaker for Golden Boy Boxing. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I could literally talk to you all day. It's a very fascinating job you have and a really cool way that you got into it. And we'll see you uh, ringside December 15th. Really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Anytime I'm available. And uh, I'll see you guys on December 15th. All right. Thank you. Take a take a cold. It's gonna be cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, listen, I'm from New York. I know how cold it's gonna be. Oh, you know. I know you, LA I was out guys. There for it's Machado's you. fight, and I was freezing. I said, "Oh my God, I can't imagine yeah, what December's gonna be like." Yeah, it's you, California guys. I gotta tell you to bring a coat. You gotta be ready for a week in New York right before Christmas. Great time, but you're right. It's it, gonna be cold. It's 85 degrees today. Oh, Can I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it, man. We're freezing over here. <laughs> We're spoiled. Yeah, I look forward to talking to you soon again, Robert. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tell your dad I said hello. I will do. Before we say goodbye here on Inside Boxing Live, it's time for some news and notes in this abbreviated edition of In Case You Missed It. Now, Triple G Callum Smith is gaining momentum, at least according to Matchroom Boxing's Eddie Hearn. Uh, He says that the fight is uh, being talked about between him and... And Tom Loeffler, it's a lot of peel back the onion here, and you can kind of see what Eddie Hearn is trying to do. He wants to lock in uh, Triple G into the matchroom to zone uh, family here. And he wants to match him up against Callum Smith at 168 pounds. And he wants to do the fight in a 54,000-person uh, stadium in Anfield, which is the home of a Liverpool uh, football club. Uh, I like this fight. I mean, I really do. I think Triple G needs to go out there and find some new opponents, find some new enemies, some... Uh, just kind of get a little stale here with, with uh, Canelo and Triple G as we wait around for that. I don't think uh, that Canelo is going to be waiting for Triple G. So I think it would be smart for him to go out there and find some new opponents. Fighting over in, in the U.K. in front of 54,000 fans is something that uh, that uh, Golovkin is right up his alley. And I think it's a tough fight because Callum Smith is a very, very big 168-pounder. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you kind of have to take Eddie Hearn's word in here now. He's really been delivering uh, on some big deals. Uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, Triple G, Callum Smith. Uh, Pacquiao Broner, the formal press conference is here, baby. Monday in Manhattan. It uh, kicks off a, a uh, two-day, two-city tour. Monday will be in New York. Uh, and I'll be in attendance for that one. Hopefully get some sound for you uh, from Pacquiao and, and Broner. Uh, Tuesdays will be in L.A. Uh, of course, as they're getting ready for their Showtime pay-per-view in January. And I love this fight. I've been, I've been calling for this fight. I've been, I've been wanting this fight for so long. And uh, it finally can be made, of course, with Pacquiao leaving top rank and joining Al Heyman. It's like an NWO move uh, for Pacquiao. But he kicks off his PBC 
uh, era with Adrian Broner. And just from the press conference standpoint, as we know what Broner's going to do. We know he's going to be a clown. We know he's going to be taking some shots at Pacquiao. Will Pacquiao fall for it? Will he break? Or will it be the same old Pacquiao just laughing off Broner, laugh, 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 smile during the face-off? Uh, another payday of business as usual for Manny Pacquiao. Finally, speaking of Manny Pacquiao, his old trainer, I still am not over that breakup, Freddie Roach is going to be working with Tyson Fury. This was reported by... Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated, uh, he says that, that Tyson Fury moved his camp from Big Bear down to, to L.A. He went into the wildcard gym, saw Freddie Roach there because it's his gym, and asked him if he'd be part of his corner. So looks like Freddie Roach will be working cuts for Tyson Fury and, of course, lending his expertise. That's it for another edition of Inside Boxing Live. We have to thank our guest, Robert Diaz of Golden Boy, uh, for joining us here on the show. We'll be back next week with more hard-hitting news here on Inside Boxing Live.